0: Hey everyone welcome to Danny Chats this is episode number 18 and today I'm joined by Thomas Uh, we're going to be talking about liver transplants and again the transplant games which has been a bit of a theme over the last few weeks hi Thomas how are you
1: hello Danny I'm doing just fine how are you doing
0: I'm very good thank you a bit sore a bit achy um I had my first sessions yesterday so I'm also getting ready for the transplant games so uh yeah what is your experience of them so far
1: um I've had two. I I got my transplant in um, July of 17 and the first games that I was able to do were the u.s. transplant games in August of 18 and um, that was in Salt Lake City in Utah yeah so um that was a year let's see July August That was a year and a month after my transplant That's and um, yeah it was it was pretty soon they require nine months to to be considered uh, for the games. So I I made it and I got um, approval from my transplant team, everybody was on board. And uh, so we flew out to Salt Lake City, my wife has family there anyway. So it was a good good excuse for a trip. And uh, I was competing that year in the um, what they call a virtual triathlon. A traditional triathlon has the run and the swim and the bike. All one back to back, but these were separated by, oh, distance and time, so it's considered virtual. But I enjoyed it a lot. I had a good time. Um, met a lot of really interesting stories there. Yeah, um, that's a, that's they, a lot to
0: train for the triathlon in
1: you know in in that
0: short period after your transplant. I'm it's just over two years now, and you know I, I just sort of feel ready enough physically and mentally to take that on.
1: Yeah, but you know. I did everybody knows about the rehabilitation after a big surgery. Yeah. But um I got my diagnosis and was starting my transplant journey in March of 2015. Yeah. And my wife and I had already been runners for quite some time, wow. active runners. But I we both know from working in healthcare that the more healthy that you can go into your transplant or any big surgery, that you should do better postoperatively. Yeah. So I started to increase my activity in March of 15 and I started adding on more distance running. And then, when I just couldn't feel comfortable running any farther, I decided to try triathlon. So, I started that in probably November of 15 yeah. and started training. I, I call that my prehabilitation phase <laughs> of my transplant. Um, and I got my new liver in July of 17. So I had just a little over two years to train for my surgery. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked hard. Yeah, I worked real hard. So it was a natural thing for me to want to get back into training as soon as I could after surgery and just worked real hard at it. Yeah, that is
0: definitely great advice is you know, the fitter you can be before your any operation, it, it makes such a big difference. to the recovery.
1: Yeah, yeah. the um, we had a meet and greet with my transplant surgeon uh, before I got my my uh, exception points for my cancers and I told him at that point you know that I'd been training and he could see that I was in pretty good health aside from my liver cancer minor detail and um, he was just gave me free reign after surgery pretty much. He said just I could do what I wanted as far as I just kind of was prudent and didn't overstress.
0: yeah yeah so he so gave you- me a lot of free reign. That's that's really good. So so you just mentioned that you you had cancer. So that was obviously the reason that led to the um, transplant.
1: Yes, I had a um, kind of a double jeopardy thing. Back in the 1980s, late 1980s, I contracted hepatitis C. And um, therapy for that wasn't very good. Yeah. And it wasn't real complete. And for a variety of other reasons, um, I kind of fell through some cracks and didn't really find out that I still had live virus until 2005 or thereabouts. And um, my new doctor in 2005 no, I'm sorry, that's not, yeah, in 2005. And um, he got me on therapy right away. And we just knocked all the virus out. I finished the course of therapy and stayed pretty healthy. What does
0: the therapy involve?
1: Uh, at that time, it was alpha interferon injections and ribovirin
0: okay is that like chemo
1: then or is it uh it's it's probably not as as drastic on the body as chemo yeah there is um body aches and pains and some nausea and you know just kind of a lackluster feeling uh, blah kind of feeling that goes along with it but it didn't have the terrible side effects of bleeding and um nausea and yeah all the the horrible things you hear about with most chemotherapies and um, but we got through that just fine and that was in about 2005 and 6 he put me on once a year every year uh, ultrasounds of my abdomen and in March of 2015 we found the first little something's in there Um, he did a uh, had them do a biopsy early way back in around 2006 or so just to see and I had significant liver damage um cirrhosis type damage and um so like i say he, he followed me yearly and uh 10 years after that roughly so when the cancer came in it's kind of a normal projection uh, procession i guess you get the hepatitis c damages the liver um the liver gets um sclerotic and diseased and then over time that turns into um cancers and then the, so he told me at that time I had one choice and that was a transplant.
0: Yeah, oh, that's interesting because uh, a lady that I spoke to from Columbia a couple of weeks ago, um, she thought she had a cancerous tumor in her liver and the, they wouldn't do a liver transplant, but then they uh, subsequently found out that it wasn't cancerous and then she could have a transplant. So I wonder <laughs> why that would be, you know, the th- the fact that you could have that and she couldn't maybe.
1: Yeah, I don't know uh maybe there's different protocols in different countries someplace i'm not real sure the um the way it was told to me is that with the sclerosis in the liver and with the cancer the cancerous tumors that in in the states that was pretty much a like a lock-in on getting a transplant yeah and you say you worked in healthcare had you sort of met
0: anyone that had, had transplants before was this something that you'd had any experience in uh obviously me, not yourself but yeah,
1: true <laughs> quite a few years ago again back into the um middle 90s early 1990s I had worked in an intensive care and the closest I ever got to anything transplant is uh the hospital I was in had a patient who was going to be a donor yeah uh, in the intensive care so I had met the team and um was there when they took this patient down to have his organs recovered. But I'd never had any experience, I'd never taken care of anybody with uh, a transplant and didn't really know anybody that had and it wasn't the kind of thing that was in all the nursing literature, it was just sort of yeah. in a corner almost all by itself it seemed. Yeah. So, so that it, was pretty new.
0: So yeah, so it's, a, it's sort of a, a shocking and you know worrying time as such.
1: Um. You know it's really a kind of a crazy thing when i got the um the diagnosis and i came home and told my wife about it is it was almost like nonchalant for both of us it was like well okay let's deal with it Yeah. (laughs) yeah and when i go back through through the diary that i was keeping in the through my transplant journey there's a lot of notations that i would make that you know this should be scarier yeah why why is this not uh scarier than it is to us you know we we had kind of determined that we were going to beat it and um i don't know (laughs) there's some periods when i said oh okay this is getting real but then another couple of pages later it's like yeah okay (laughs) i
0: I can relate i mean i wasn't i'd had a lot of experience with hospitals anyway so the, the whole hospital thing wasn't a shock to me so it wasn't you know like the people that have never had any experience of hospital and then they get ill all of a sudden and then they're having to deal with their first time in hospital and all of this so I was kind of a little bit prepared and like you there wasn't really anything I was particularly scared about or worried but uh, your wife I bet your wife definitely was because I know you know my family They were, and they've, I mean, not that you have any control, but they have less control than you, even so. So, you know, they're just really worried for you.
1: Yes, she did well, you know. She's a pretty, pretty strong woman for sure, and she did very well, and together we just determined that this was something we could take care of. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, obviously with the help of the transplant team,
0: of course. Yeah. And <laughs> after your transplant, I mean, I remember I was trying to move into I was staying at somebody's house, but I had planned to move out and I was trying to move out before my transplant, um, which I'm really pleased. I didn't because afterwards I didn't realize I mean, the hospital said that you're going to need support. But in my head, I was like, I'll i be fine. But then uh, the yeah. first few months, you really need support. Do you not think?
1: Uh, I do, but. I can't say that I had a very easy easy time of it because nobody has an easy time of this but I did have a relatively easy time and while she was you know she took some time off of work took a couple of months off of work and by the time that we're out a couple I don't know a month and a half or so she started to go back to work yeah um, because I didn't need that around-the-clock attention we actually got in trouble with one of our social workers early on because like i said we were both runners before surgery yeah and i was doing real well at home and so it was like you know i encouraged her to go out and get a little run in here and there you know a couple of miles here and there an hour half an hour whatever and we slipped up and told one of our social workers about it and uh, she gave us so much trouble about that
0: that's important though isn't it for for somebody that is caring for anybody it's important that they still have their time i
1: suppose absolutely the caregivers. Have to take care of themselves, or they can't be good caregivers.
0: Exactly that, yeah.
1: yeah exactly that. So,
0: so, yeah, that. So then, uh, you did the transplant games in America, and then mm-hmm. you flew
1: over to England. I did, yes. Newcastle. <laughs> we had a great time. We had yeah. a really good. Time. The um, the first race, I did. Tri- I did triathlon in Salt Lake City but I didn't want to transport a bike to England with the expense and the hassle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I just did track and field and we um, got into town. The first race was on the Saturday, first Saturday, the transplant games, it was a 5K. And um, we ran that and it was funny. We went to look at the course the day before and it's a beautiful park, nice paved pathways and cows. <laughs> <laughs> they, they apparently use that area as seasonal grazing for some of the local farmers, yeah. and I thought that that would be very interesting. Happening to run through the cows. Just
0: don't but wear they were red.
1: <laughs> it sure yeah. was, but all the animals had been removed for the day of the race. and
0: yeah.
1: um, So, how many so good, days
0: is the event over?
1: Uh they're spread out over over about a week, I think. Oh, really. Thinking we had our first race was on opening day, that was on a Saturday. Um, we had left the following Friday. And there were games still being played on Fridays. But I think there was maybe something else on Saturday. So I don't know, say, seven, eight, nine days, maybe. That's really good. And is it yeah. sort of
0: really social after, after you know, after the day's finished? Is it? Do people get together and hang out?
1: They do somewhat, you know, we, we travel together, uh, for sure and we like to be tourists so we didn't stay yeah. around too much we course, took yeah. a train and went up to um, Edinburgh for a few days and oh wow um took a day trip out to uh from Newcastle to um Tynemouth little yeah. town out of the uh, mouth of the river Tyne and yeah so we did a lot of that but there are a lot of events a lot of social events organized at the Transplant Games that if you wish you can certainly take yeah. part of them yeah we were busy Just, being tourists
0: yeah cuz the next one uh <laughs> is in australia isn't it in 2023 yes all plans yes. going ahead that is
1: yeah by then this whole lockdown and covid thing should be much better under control and yeah we, we're very hopeful that it goes through
0: yeah same same i'm yeah. i'm i'm in training i'm ready for it i'm getting Good. ready
1: for it. <laughs> i'll see you there <laughs> yeah and like you say it's,
0: it's a great excuse to do some traveling isn't it
1: it really is yeah. it really is we like it a lot and um all the competitors at the World Games, are from just everywhere, we've we met some quite big contingents from uh, India and Iraq. And of course, being in Newcastle, uh, Great Britain's team was huge. Yeah, yeah. And Americans, US people from all over the country were there and uh, yeah, just the whole world is represented. It's just amazing. I mean, I was
0: not i suppose i was i was a little bit shocked that you know the physical peak that some of the people that train i mean you run a marathon last weekend um you know it's like it's it's very inspiring to see from somebody that's had a transplant you know now it's inspired me to go out and get that fit myself because you don't yes. really know what your limits are and the hospital can be very not restrictive but they you know they can worry you and and it, Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so to see all these people that have trained and, and how fit they can really get, is so inspiring.
1: Yes, there are some really amazing athletes. But you know what I enjoyed as much as the people that were really fit and good athletes is the people that were not what you think of as being athletes. Yeah. You know, the slow and the, the maybe a little awkward or they, they just don't fit the stereotype of an athlete but they're out there and they're representing the the gift of of a new life. Yeah. Even though when it comes to the winning and losing of it, the first across the finish line, that's not really their goal. Yeah, their goal yeah. is to be there and to enjoy their just re, absolutely rejoice in their whole new life and it's great to see them every bit as much as it is the good athletes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a massive celebration, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yes, it is. Do, do you know, uh, in terms of track and field events, so what's the sort of rundown? Because I've tried looking, it just says track and field on the website at the moment. So I'm interested in, say, like 100 metres maybe, and then what else is there? Do they do, um, long jump or anything like that as well?
1: Um, they do, uh, shot put, high jump. Oh, high jump, th- that would be... Long jump. Uh... I don't know if they do the hammer or the US games had Javelin. I don't know if they do that at the World, I don't recall. And um, the track day, they do the 100, 200, 400s, 800s, 1500s, but I don't remember seeing any hurdles. Yeah, it's probably a bit too dangerous well it sure would be for me <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i wouldn't fancy tripping over one to be fair <laughs> Funny. yeah um so and your wife obviously she competes as well not not in uh, the transplant games but in you know when you do you do you compete in marathons or is it just social
1: um you know it's a little of each we do compete somewhat within our age groups yeah but you know there's an awful lot of good athletes out there what we have found over the mm, 15 16 years that we've lived in this community is an awful lot of the people that we really enjoy spending time with are also part of the running community or the athletic community yeah and it's a great community for us
0: a lot yeah, of support
1: yeah. you know an awful lot of support and um once the word started getting out of my transplant, because, you know, we didn't really advertise it a whole lot, but once the word started getting out, the amount of support I had from other runners that we've known for a few years, was just so gratifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And then how do they um, do that in the transplant games with age? Because uh, obviously I, I've been told that they have, like the kids, the kids race in, but what do they do for elder people? Uh, is it just all mixed? Do they grade people on standards? Is it? You know, just all chucked
1: in. Yeah, they usually do what they call age groups, and yeah. I think I think the transplant games had ten-year age groups. Yeah, uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure. It could have been that five years. Of, I think that, that might kind of have makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 20s. So you know, your 40s. 20 to 30 year olds compete against other 20 to 30 year olds, and your 60s and 70 year olds compete amongst their own kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah
0: yeah yeah because yeah, I, I didn't want to bring up your age but when you told me the other week and you said you'd just been out for a marathon you know i was i was like well that's impressive you know not <laughs> not you. that age is a big number <laughs> but i mean do you mind saying how old you are because you don't look as old as what you know yeah uh
1: i'm 71 now yeah i'll
0: yeah. be 72 come april yeah so yeah. it's i mean you know it's, it's, it's brilliant to see because what as I, I know i know you haven't had your transplant for since you were young, but one of my questions was, you know, how is it going to be in five, ten years time?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to see people that, are, see someone like yourself who's still going really, really strong is so yes. inspiring. It's,
1: it, it feels good and it feels yeah. good to be an inspiration. I hear that from time to time and I'm really pleased that I can play that role. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: was that on your mind at all when you had to transplant, As you know, how long is this going to last? Is it something that I'm going to have to have again
1: in five years or? I don't think we ever thought about that I think the the one thought that was recurrent to me was what is my lifestyle going to be afterwards yeah you know Deborah my wife and I we had already established a lifestyle of traveling to go to do foot races and then once I started into triathlons we would travel to do our triathlons and that sort of thing and I was more concerned about not being able to get back to that kind of a lifestyle yeah. and i was you know the idea of dying on the table never really entered our minds either one of us um but what i did worry about was coming out of surgery and being unable to to be active
0: yeah
1: you know, i took a very very aggressive stance in my rehabilitation like i did my prehabilitation yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and and you found some of that or a lot of that for me recovery was sort of two parts it was the physical side which i I found after you know six months to a year, I was pretty much back to normal. But it's only recently that I've really come to terms with the mental side of it all as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know the fact that there's a donor involved and there's a donor's family involved. So things like Christmas when they come round, you know, there's that extra thought in your head of you know this. Although you're celebrating, there's a family out there that might not be and stuff like that. Have you
1: reached out to your donor or? I did i i really struggled for a couple of years that you know i need to write this letter i need to write this letter and the thought that kept creeping into the back of my mind is these people have given up a loved one and they've grieved and hopefully had closure and i didn't i kept thinking i don't want to reopen that wound yeah so i didn't write that letter and i kept thinking i've got to write that letter but then i don't want to and i i spent oh gosh Danny, two and a half years
0: yeah
1: going back and forth on that i'm i'm
0: two years down and i i've sat down to try and write it but i find it very emotionally hard um Mm and just thinking what to write and uh the, the i interviewed someone last week and he uh unfortunately he lost his daughter and uh he donated her organs and he said so he, he understood it from a, a donor's side as well as becoming, you know, having an organ. He understood what it was like to give out organs as such. Mm-hmm. And he said just just a letter saying thank you is enough. He said that's all all anyone yeah. really wants.
1: You know, I had met two people that really helped me change my mind. I was um I was racing a what they call a half iron distance triathlon, which is a little over seventy miles in total.
0: Yeah.
1: And there were, the run part was three laps around a four-mile course, and I have a a singlet, racing singlet that says Donate Life on the front with the uh, Donate Life logo. I'm not sure if they're in the UK, but in the states, they're like the major organization that um, represents and advocates for transplant. So I was wearing a jersey with their logo on it, and I passed a water station and some lady. Just hollered out, yay, donate life, you know, and waved and woohooed and all that kind of stuff. So I stopped to talk to her, and she had lost a son a few years earlier. Um, she didn't say from what. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so we chatted for a minute, and then I took off. And second lap around, she was still at the water station. So I stopped and we chatted and all that kind of stuff. And third lap around, um, I came to the water station again, and she was still there. So I spent a little bit more time, and she said, you know, in our conversation that she thought that the donor families would really, really do well to hear, to hear that their loved one loss was not in vain, that, you know, something good came from it. Yeah. And, oh gosh, we hugged and we cried and did all that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I met another woman sometime later that her brother, Gosh, I don't know. I think she'd said maybe ten or twenty years earlier, her brother had been hit and killed by a drunk driver. But they were able to donate, uh, and I think she said four donor, four recipients got his organs, and that her mom and dad would have really been able to have better closure if they knew. Um, but apparently, they had never heard about yeah. from their recipients. So I, I kind of took those ladies' advice to heart and finally did sit down and pinned a letter. Hardest thing I've ever done. Well, one of the hardest things I've ever done is pinning that letter. It's the hardest,
0: one of the most emotional things I've ever tried to do. It's Um, tough. Just just went up inside and just like, oh.
1: Oh, I know. You know, I don't know if it happened to you, but about my fourth day after surgery, you know, the first day was in ICU. The second day was transferring to, uh, well actually the second day was still an ICU. The third day was transferred and starting to walk and move around more and about the fourth or maybe the fifth day the fog was lifting just enough for me to realize that my loved ones my family we were all like happy yeah <laughs> we were celebrating this amazing event but somebody across down town is going to a funeral yeah and uh, I had two really bad days just trying to come to grips with that. It was so hard, yeah and um I'll be four years out in July of this year, and it's nothing that is constantly in my mind, but I do under you know certain triggers will come up, and I'll think about them and you know get just just a touch of melancholy,
0: yeah, yeah. I- I totally relate to that. I can understand that. And, uh, yeah, I think about four, four days in after my surgery, uh, I put like Verve album on, which I hadn't listened to about for years. And I just cried for the day. Like it was, <laughs> it was such a mix of emotions. It was happy. It was relief. It was sadness. It was literally everything. Cause I hadn't, yeah. I didn't really cry. I didn't cry before or anything. I cried two times. That was the first. And the second time I cried was, uh, the nutritionist came around a few days later and, uh, she told me I couldn't eat. Um, what was it, certain cheeses and um, cured meats. Well, I was sat eating a pack of cured meat that was wrapped around this sort of cheese, soft cheese. And she said, I'm already halfway through a pack of it. And uh, so I kind of just pushed it away from me and I just cried. And it was like my, my world had ended. And she was like, oh, I'll come back tomorrow. And uh, yeah, just, just it was just all the emotions, I think. And that was the final sort of push.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there are, there's so many up and downs especially in the early days you know i I find that they don't come around very often. I will say before we um, we first spoke about doing this, I went back and pulled out my diary from my transplant days and started to read through it and some of that kind of starts to come back up when I see the early days of the adventure and uh, just the trans transcendence from one end to the other and then the post operative phase also is very just very emotional yeah in uh, and it, in a lot of respects i hope that never goes away yeah, yeah. i want to yeah, be reminded think- of how lucky and how fortunate i've been and how thankful i need to be
0: well we have a massive reminder on us don't we really <laughs> uh, big sky. <scar, laughs> yeah do. well i had a shower the other day not the first time ever but i had a shower and um I was sort of just cleaning myself and I looked down like this and I caught a glimpse of the side bit and I double took a, a look at my scar. I totally sort of forgot it was there and it was like, oh, it's you know, it's a reminder. <laughs>
1: Definitely a reminder. It is. Um, I spend a fair bit of out time outdoors. Um, I'm fairly well tanned and I I heal well. I don't get a lot of scar. Yeah. And when I look at mine, it's faded greatly. I mean, it's still yeah. obvious and it's still there. Yeah, In yeah. some places a little deeper than others, but yeah, it's a reminder too.
0: Yeah, mine's very, mine's healed very, very well as well. I mean, I drank so much water. That's all I remember doing was drinking litres and litres of water after my operation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for a good few months as well, just constantly just seemed to couldn't get enough water.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I don't remember drinking a lot of water so much, but I do remember worrying about my weight. Yeah, It seemed like I couldn't get my weight up. And um, from the, about the third or fourth day after surgery, I, I started working out. I started doing laps around the hospital unit and climbing stairs and irritating some of the staff because I was disappearing to go take a walk around the lake and that sort of thing. Yeah. But when I got out and started to train in, in earnest, I was just burning so many calories healing yeah, and burning a lot of calories trying to get my activity level back up that I was just dropping weight. So yeah. I was eating and eating and eating and eating and uh I was still dropping weight. I finally had to start doing calorie counts and doing well they, put, did they sort of did, were you on steroids? I was initially, but I, I was very fortunate I got off of the uh, I think the prednisone was the only steroid yeah. that I took. And I didn't stay on that for long. I would say maybe a monthish.
0: Yeah, and same got me. I
1: think I was on it. Yeah. So I didn't get all the puffiness that goes along with this and weight gain that yeah. goes along with that i had uh, night terrors from it really
0: bad um i had an experience i'd i'd spoke to someone before um and they told me about having night terrors and they told me that it was like someone who was pinning them down in the bed and i couldn't really relate and i couldn't understand it and then when i had one or i had a few myself oh it is terrifying it was like a, a goblin had climbed up onto the side, and you can vividly see it. And then it pins you down. And it just sits on your chest, and you, you just can't move. Um, when I googled it, like the pictures that people have drawn and stuff are so very similar to what I saw. It's really, really weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. luckily, that was the only side effect I had. So, and I wasn't on it too long.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's good. I didn't have any of those that I can recall. I'm real happy about that.
0: Yeah, I I think if I'd have had sleep paralysis as a child, I probably would never have slept again. But because you're an adult, you know, you know, know it's just a dream. So you're all right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard of those, but I've, fortunately, I've never experienced it.
0: No, no. So um, when's the next Games in America? Like we say, the the World Games is in 2023. Uh, We've got a UK Games coming up, hopefully this summer. Uh, How about you guys?
1: We had um, scheduled games in the states August of this year July or August of this year 18 and um, that's not true hang on 20 I'm sorry August of 20 we've had games but those yeah. were postponed when the COVID came through yeah and um, they pushed them back to summer of 2021 but there's still a lot of concern here so they're making most of the uh, activities more virtual yeah and um they're not going to have the gathering and it was scheduled to be in new jersey up near new york city but uh so that's post that's just going to be virtual now what they can do the next games that are on the schedule will be in 22 in san diego in california oh nice so uh, we'll plan on going to that too if we can yeah
0: have you been to california before
1: not very much we uh i've been I, I did some uh, convention duties for one of my jobs many years ago, but that was mostly time at the convention hall, not, yeah. not much touristy time. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, back in around the year of 2000, I think, we flew out to San Diego to do um, a marathon there and spent a few days. Her daughter came down from uh, the state of Utah, and we visited and spent a few days there. But that's the only time I've been to California. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually, I lived
0: there when I was a child, but it was such a short time. And I was, I think I was about three years old. So I don't really remember any of it. There's just the the odd random picture I've seen uh-huh. of me out there. But yeah, I mean, I, I wanna come over to America at some point. It's so big that I think I'm gonna need to be there for a few months just to just to get around and see
1: everywhere. Oh, I think so too, yeah. I think so too. We, um, we have an Airbnb room in our house that we share. And we've had so many people from Europe that will spend a whole week just trying to go around Florida and stop yeah. off here to either visit the Space Center or go to the, you know, take a cruise out of our local port and that kind of thing. But they'll fly into the far south end of the state, and make a big circle around it and take a week to do it. Yeah. and Still really only get the bottom half of the state.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know I bet. So big. So big.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when we went to um, Newcastle for the games, we were there for a weekish and we spent a couple of days up in edinburgh and then a day out to the to the ocean and we wanted to do so much more that we keep talking that well we need to go back and spend another week and maybe maybe go to the south or maybe go to wales or maybe go to someplace it's a beautiful country we enjoyed it
0: yeah yeah uh, if you ever come back again obviously let me know and i'll come and meet you somewhere it'd be lovely to meet (laughs) (laughs) um, i live just outside london but i mean there's England's fairly small so this coast you know an hour two hours drive from me as well so it's not so Uh, bad really yeah it's nice (laughs) we just don't have the hot weather that's the only problem
1: oh yeah we um the games of course were in the summer and we went to uh Edinburgh and were tourists there for a few days and went to the um that great tattoo that they have there yeah and we had been warned that we needed extra jackets and sweaters and such for that. And we were so happy to have extra jackets. <laughs> that was extremely cold and we were high up. So, of course, the wind was blowing through the stadium. Yeah. And that cold wind and all that. It was icy. Yeah, uh, yes. I see. <laughs>
0: It'd be completely but, different in Australia.
1: Uh, oh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a wonderful trip. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. From probably. our per- point of view, having gone through the transplant and all that, all of our trips are wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm every single day that I wake up, I've got a little balcony and I just go and step outside every morning, and I'm just so happy. Yeah. You know, just blessed.
1: Yeah, you had a uh, a bit of snow, I think, just here this last week or so. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We had a small bit of snow. Um, it never, it never stays around long here, though. Um, I think where I live, we've probably got the least as well from in. From everywhere in the UK.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But, um, yeah, I mean, we get a few inches. It's fun why it lasts, then it turns to slush. It'd be nice to have like two foot of snow over Christmas and then, right. that, then done with it, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 We don't get snow of any sort where we are. We're, we're just not too far above the tropics, you know? And, yeah. Um, I think the last snow that we had in this area would have been in 1978 or thereabouts. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so you're obviously winter now or coming out of winter to spring nearly, but what's the temperature there where you are then? Um at the race this morning it was seventy-two degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> we were we were in minus four the other morning when I went yeah. to, when I went out in my car. Yeah, minus four. It's freezing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm okay here. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, you stick to your t-shirts and short weather, it's lovely, and flip-flops.
1: Yes, we have to put on socks with our sandals, we know it's getting cold. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> That's
0: great. Well, thank you very much for taking some time out to talk to me, Thomas.
1: Uh, you're sure welcome, Danny. Thanks for the reach-out. I, I take any opportunity I can to share the story because I just think the more people that hear the more stories, the more likely it is that they'll become donors themselves, or at least sign yeah. up for the donor. Totally.
0: Donors, yeah. and I mean, I've had people reach out to me that have had friends that are going, or have been put on a transplant list, and their friends have flat out been like, "I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it." But they, because the same as you, they've they've got that fear of what life is going to be like afterwards. So yeah. I think these these podcasts are great as well, just to show that life can be amazing afterwards. There is a lot a, a lot of
1: life to be had. There sure is. Yeah. It sure as I agree. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very well, much. I sure appreciate the reach out, you know, and the opportunity. So thank you as well. that's no problem. No problem.
0: Well, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, Danny, thank you. I'll say see
1: you later. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye now.